In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That portion of the Word of God that we shall read and consider this evening, the Holy Spirit has caused to be recorded in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where we read as follows in Jesus' name. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, on the three midweek Advent services this year, we will be considering three messianic prophecies from the book of the prophet Isaiah. By messianic, we mean that they refer to the Messiah or Christ, the promised Savior. Now we know that God is the author the true author of every word of the Bible. We call that verbal inspiration. But Isaiah is the human author of the words before us this evening. And he wrote these words about 740 years before Jesus Christ was born. Isaiah was from Jerusalem. And he wrote about her future. He begins this prophecy by writing... The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now the task of any prophecy is its fulfillment. If a prophet's prophecy doesn't come true, he is not a true prophet. But to know whether a prophecy has been fulfilled requires that we know how to interpret prophecy. And this requires just a little bit of knowledge of prophetic literature. You notice what Isaiah writes here, that Isaiah saw. Think in terms of pictures. Jesus used pictures. He taught about the kingdom of God with parables. And the Old Testament prophets do the same thing. They use picture language. The prophecy before us about the latter days has Isaiah saying, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Now what is being pictured here? There's a mountain. 
It's called the mountain of the Lord's house. It is placed above all other mountains, and all nations flow to it. Obviously, the prophet isn't talking about a geological miracle whereby God will put this mountain on top of those mountains. No, he's talking about a much greater miracle than that. The mountain is Mount Zion. Now, it's not much of a mountain as mountains go. It's nothing like the mountains we have out here. It's more like a hill. But Mount Zion is a very important mountain because on it is the temple. And the temple is where God reveals himself to his people. The temple is where God's word is, where his church is. In the latter days, God will send his son and reveal his glory to the whole world. It will be the glory of God's everlasting love, a love so deep that it could only be revealed in the person of God's eternal Son. All that the temple taught, all that the temple typified, will become clear in Christ. Then, what God had taught his people of old in the temple will be taught all over the world. All nations shall flow to Zion to be taught by God. The prophet continues, Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Who could have imagined it? Not Isaiah. He could only write what God gave him to write. The time would come when people from all over the world would seek out instruction from the God of Jacob, that small and insignificant nation of Judah, which was just a part of that small and insignificant nation of Israel, would become the center of the world as the teaching of her Christ would be proclaimed to the four corners of the earth. People who had not known God would welcome his holy teaching and follow him. And what would that teaching be? The prophet continues, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I should say that is an example of parallelism. The Hebrew poetry does a lot of that. To Go forth the law, and the word of the Lord are the same thing. He will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any anymore. So we see that the word law, here as it's used by Isaiah, refers to the whole Bible. The whole word of God, both law and gospel. And that word that from the Lord that goes out from Zion is both law and gospel. God's law judges and rebukes, and God's gospel brings about peace. It gives the peace of sins forgiven. Now those who hear this in faith beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Those who hear the gospel 
that sounds forth from Mount Zion are changed by what they hear. Jesus said of them, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The prophet prophesies of peace. Now where and when and how will this happen? Some interpret these words politically. Every time there's a war in the Middle East, you hear about it on the news, and the evangelists start talking about biblical prophecy being fulfilled. Well, that's because they interpret the Old Testament politically instead of spiritually. They teach that the peace that will come will be a political peace that will come when Jesus returns, not to judge the living and the dead, but to establish a thousand-year reign on this earth with Jerusalem as his capital city. We call them millennialists. It means a thousand years. But the so-called millennial reign of Christ is not a civil, legal, or political reign. It is a spiritual reign. Jesus is Lord right now. And he rules by his grace through the gospel that he has entrusted to the church. So the church is the true Israel, not the state established by the United Nations in 1948. That state has nothing to do with biblical prophecy. Now others believe that to have genuine Christian peace among us, we have to withdraw from the world and in this way exclude the evil of the world from us. This has happened throughout history of the church. People go off by themselves to form their own community of holy people and they maintain their holiness by a strict regimen of rules and religious uh, obligations. And they think that the prophecy of peace is going to be fulfilled in their community. But what they don't understand is that the source of war lies within us. It lies within all of us. A man beats his wife in the privacy the cruel privacy of their own home. A man joins up with religious fanatics to wreak havoc on innocent civilians. A mob burns down buildings, sets police cars on fire. We look at things like this and we rightly condemn it and then we ask the question, how is it that people can behave this way? And we shouldn't look any further than to the hatred inside our own hearts that bubbles up out of us when we speak hateful and hurtful words. Hatred is not a mysterious and alien power out there somewhere from which we can hide. No, it lies within. War isn't caused by guns, bombs, and military hardware. It comes from the violence that lies within every human heart. And the gospel that sounds forth in Christ's church, that is the source of peace in this world. As we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we prepare our hearts to receive this peace. It is the peace of sins forgiven, of being reconciled to God. When God joined the human race, 
He did so to establish peace with us. That's what the angels said to the shepherds. And that's what we say. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He didn't come in terrors to judge. He came in love to redeem. And he did. He was born, lived, obeyed, suffered, and died. And on Calvary, the promise of peace that the angels gave the shepherds was fulfilled. Jesus has established peace between God and us. Listen to how St. Paul describes this in Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Wherever the gospel of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake sounds forth, there God establishes Zion on top of the mountains. There the word goes forth from Jerusalem. There men, women, and children beat their swords and spears into implements for peace because the gospel is the power of God to bring heaven to earth. And it's the power of God to bring earth to heaven. That's when the peace that we have now by faith will become visible before our eyes and manifested in all of its sweetness and joy. Here and now, we embrace this peace through faith. The gospel gives it. Wherever the gospel is given, peace is established. And this world is going to come to an end. But the gospel will not. God's word lasts forever. The peace it brings will last forever. The prophetic word promised it. Christ, the incarnate word, guarantees it. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.